are listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks very much for tuning in. A reminder that if you love this show and listen to it each day, but you're one of the people, one of the many people, who has never made a donation to WDET before, this is the time to support us. Local shows like Detroit Today are our most costly service here at WDET, and as a nonprofit, we've always got to be mindful of every dollar. Your gift today takes us a step closer to raising the money we need to make up to fill this significant financial gap that has opened up because of the pandemic by September 30th, which is the end of our fiscal year. So help secure the local programs you rely on with your gift now at WDET.org. And as always, thank you very much for anything you can give to keep programs like Detroit Today and all the other wonderful local programming here at WDET on the air. Up next, Michigan's eviction moratorium is set to expire tomorrow. And despite calls from housing advocates to extend that moratorium, it appears Governor Whitmer will allow it to end. We have talked on this show a lot about the housing crisis this could create if this huge backlog of evictions is allowed to go forward without some protections in place. So have we done enough to prevent the worst from happening. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And joining us to discuss this is Ted Phillips. He is the executive director of the United Community Housing Coalition. Ted, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. And also with us is Lakeisha, who is a tenant who recently faced eviction, but whose case was resolved. Lakeisha, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having me. So, Lakeisha, before we get to the bigger picture questions about this eviction moratorium, I want to give you a chance to talk about your story. Talk about how you found yourself facing eviction and uh, how you've resolved the, the issue. Well, I became ill in 2017, and I had to be off of work for 11 months. So it put me behind, even though I returned back to work. Um, I had to go through chemo, and uh, now I'm back at work, and that's what set me back. Hmm. Um, what would it have meant for you to to lose your home, especially while you were battling cancer? Um it would have devastated me and I probably wouldn't be as healed as I am today. I have four children and I'm a single mom. Mm. And what are your thoughts on the eviction moratorium during the pandemic? Uh, Is this something that you also felt like was supporting you and kind of keeping you stable during an uncertain time? Yes. I do because I was able to reach out to others for help and I received the help that I was actually looking for. Yeah. Okay, Lakeisha, I'm really glad that you came uh, to talk with us about, about your story. It's really important, I think, to be able to put a face on these policies and their consequences. Uh, Ted yeah. Phillips, uh, talk about what this moratorium has meant for tenants who face eviction during the pandemic, how critical was this? Well, I think it was crucial because uh, absent that, we would have seen uh, many, many, many people that would have been evicted. Um, we know at the point where 
the courts, uh, 36th District Court in Detroit closed down on, on March the 13th that there were uh, literally um, over 450 um, what are called orders of evictions. Those are what the bailiffs have to have to do an eviction uh, that were uh, floating around, if you will. Uh, some of those may have been executed. We looked at uh, cases from February 3rd to the time point where the court closed. Uh, but there were those, and then there were another hundred that were waiting to be signed by judges. And then all of all of the judgments that, all of the rest of the judgments that have not that were not um, resolved with payment or whatever, uh, most of them were non-payment or rent judgments, but not all. Uh, and again, those could have resulted in, in evictions as well. And then on top of that, if the if the moratorium hadn't ended and if the courts hadn't closed, we would have continued to have had um, a, case, a, a large number of cases. Um, uh, you know, continuing through the court. We know there's about 900 cases pending that uh, were filed before the court closed uh, that were adjourned to a later date, and those will be the first, ca- presumably, the first cases the court will hear and, and the first and the next batch of folks that are in jeopardy of, um, of facing an eviction in Detroit. Mm. Uh, so are there protections in place to make sure we're not just delaying some giant wave of evictions that have been building up during the pandemic. I mean, I, I, I don't know what could have been done, but but what position are we in if this moratorium just ends and and people go back to court and judges start start uh, saying people have to leave their homes? Yeah, well, we're in a little better shape in the sense that there is a this eviction diversion program that the governor and the state has uh, put out. Um, but the problem with that is that it really doesn't address the most crucial, immediate group of folks that are facing evictions. One I just alluded to a second ago, that, you know, again, there's there's over 450 potential evictions that could occur, um, you know, July 16th, July 17th, July 18th. They don't have to. The, the court does have some some remedies there. There's a requirement that if... Um, if this particular order has been approved more than 56 days before the bailiff actually comes out, the landlord is supposed to go back to the court. Now, whether there will be some um, new interpretation of that order, given given the circumstances that we have right now or not, I don't know. But certainly the court does have the authority to say uh, we want all of these cases brought back for at least one more uh, one more look at, if you will, one more hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that would enable um, time for the eviction diversion program to to kick in and work. The problem with the eviction diversion program is it's not ready to roll yet. I mean, they're, they're talking about um, rolling it out on July the 16th, but the reality is that the groups aren't going to be getting contracts to do the work until near the end of July. And, and the money that's going to need to flow to be able to help uh, with paying judgments isn't going to flow until early August. So at a minimum, there should be some consideration for that, that if that's the resolution to how are we going to prevent mass evictions, then the mass evictions should be at least delayed until that program has a chance to uh, show that it can work. And I, and I think it can work in many instances. There's, there's some flaws to it. There's always going to be some flaws, but but certainly uh, the level of support is, is uh, much bigger than many programs have been in the past. Uh, and it's been streamlined somewhat, uh, so it, it it could it could result in um, you know hundreds to thousands of tenants being assisted and not facing an eviction, 
Um, but it's got to have time to work to do that. Mm. You know, it, it strikes me that the pandemic and the threat that it posed to people's tenancy, their 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 homes, was maybe an occasion for us to think differently about eviction and the way we deal with it. In other words, that because you were going to put far more people in jeopardy of losing their homes, it seemed an opportune time to really talk about why this happens and how we how we prevent it. Have we taken advantage of that opportunity or are we still largely in the same space that we were before where ultimately the inability to pay your rent consistently is going to result in a lot of a lot of loss of homes especially in in impoverished areas like Detroit well the pay your rent part is still going to be a problem I mean the eviction aversion is sort of a short-term fix uh, and a necessary one uh, those funds are supposed to be uh, in Detroit. Detroit, Hamtramck, and Highland Park will have about six and a half, six point four million dollars worth of funds to pay judgments, which is to pay rent, not necessarily uh, judgment situation. But certainly that will help a great deal in the short term, and 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 everybody's kind of focused on that. There does need to be a longer term fix. I think that uh, some of the talk of uh, political talk of looking at the Section Eight program in a different way reforming it down the road so that anyone, so that there's not like three and four and five year waiting lists for everybody to get on it. And by that time, uh, and just a whole total waste of resources and total um, waste of time for a lot of, for most folks who can't get onto it, but instead reforming that so that anyone who reaches a certain income level would be able to get a rent subsidy from the government. I mean, that would be an amazing uh, transformation of, of how things are done. The other piece to it, though, is that there, there's, uh, there's been a problem with just the basic balance of power in terms of getting legal assistance when you get an eviction. I mean, not, not all evictions are about tenants just not paying rent, um, and they're not all about tenants not paying rent because they don't have the rent. I mean, there's a host of other issues that very often come up, and there's a lot of studies that show that where there's legal involvement, where there's an attorney representing the the tenant, there's there's generally a much, much different result in those cases. Um, we've got a horrible problem in Detroit with the conditions of property uh, that a lot of people are working on and trying to resolve, but it's still a problem. And, uh, you know, landlords shouldn't be able to go to court and get a full 100% of their rent when, in fact, um, they've not taken care of, they've had things like furnaces being out in the winter and no water when it's their responsibility to provide and in just horrible conditions in general. So there's a lot of other issues um, that come up. And there has been progress on that. I mean, we have uh, we have seen the need, and, and in Detroit, there's been additional money through the CARES Act. And so there will be an increase in the representation in, in 36th District Court, uh, a pretty dramatic one from about, uh, probably from about 4 to 5% of the tenants being able to be represented to uh, 25% or so, and maybe more than that. We're, we're working on ways with the court that we might be able to get close to 100% representation. That's very ambitious, but but given the new way that the court will be hearing cases uh, virtually, there may be some some hope for that happening. So we're really hoping that, w- that with increasing that, uh, getting fairer judgments, getting uh, resolutions of more than just rent, you know, the rent payment part uh, handled, uh, that there can truly be some um, some amazing new things that can happen here um, that will be 
more than just the next several months that will carry on into the future. I'm talking with Ted Phillips. He is the executive director of the United Community Housing Coalition, and we are discussing the eviction moratorium that ends tomorrow. It was called because of the pandemic and the profound economic stress that that put on so many people. Uh, As we prepare to end that moratorium, however, uh, the real question is what happens to those people who are behind on rent? Uh, potentially 450 people could face eviction uh, immediately as soon as this uh, moratorium ends. What should happen for those folks so that they don't lose their homes? And are there better ways to think about the ways uh, we deal with evictions in the state of Michigan. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us if you think Governor Whitmer should extend Michigan's eviction moratorium that is set to expire tomorrow. We especially want to hear from you if you find yourself at risk of eviction or housing instability. What is going on in your housing situation and how worried are you about the end of this moratorium? What are you doing to try to avoid the situation of being evicted? Uh, We also want to hear from landlords. What has the pandemic done to you while you have not been able, in some cases, to collect rent? Are you in danger of uh, not being able to keep the properties maybe that you own and rent to to families to make their homes? Um, uh, Also, give us a call and tell us what you think the broader solutions might be to the eviction crisis, uh, especially here in the city of Detroit. Are there better ways that we can be thinking about this issue? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about evictions. And we will get to you as listeners as well. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Ted Phillips, and we are talking about the eviction moratorium that ends tomorrow and what might happen to families who are in precarious positions with their landlords, have not maybe been able to keep up with the rent during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, As always, we want to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us if you are somebody who is in uh, a precarious position with your housing because of the pandemic? Are you worried about the eviction moratorium being lifted tomorrow? What do you think are some of the bigger solutions that we ought to be thinking about? Uh, Ted, before we get to listeners, I want to talk also about Wayne County tax foreclosures, which is a huge, huge issue in housing instability in in the city, especially 
Wayne County has stopped its tax foreclosures for this year. Talk about the impact of that decision on housing security in in our city and our region. Well, it was um, probably a necessary thing, but um, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It certainly uh, means that uh, homeowners are not going to be at risk of losing their homes this year. Uh, It does mean, though, that there's a potential for an even larger problem next year. Um, And so we are gearing up for that. We're expecting that March 31st of 2021 is is going to be a particularly dire time if we don't uh, start doing some work to to address that right now. And some of that work can be dealing with the very low-income homeowners uh, taking advantage of what's called a poverty tax exemption. Troy calls it the Homeowner Property Tax Assistance Program. But getting getting individuals into that will also qualify them for the state program called the Pay-As-You-Stay, a state law that passed Pay-As-You-Stay, which will um, be able effectively to take them out of foreclosure. So, um, so the good things are happening there, but there's there is a need to to act really quickly. The other the other thing though is that um, we every year have purchased a lot of homes for tenants that were foreclosed by, from landlords that. Uh, failed to pay their taxes, uh, and that opportunity is not going to exist this year. So in the last uh, three years, we've purchased um, over 800 homes, making uh, many uh, very often low-income tenants who were in sort of substandard housing that landlords were doing little work on, uh, taking them away from that to make them homeowners and then to work with them to get repairs done with a repair program we have and some other stuff. So that that's ground to a halt. So it's kind of a mixed bag. That that group may actually face uh, the, that group of tenants may actually face evictions sooner than they otherwise would have if we had been able to purchase the homes. But certainly the low-income homeowners and the other homeowners who weren't low-income um, on the short term benefited greatly by the Wayne County Treasurer's uh, action, which probably was just very necessary given everything that we're facing. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Heather. In Ferndale. All right, Heather, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning. Hi. Stephen, I love your show as always. Um, Thank you. you know, she needs to extend the moratorium. She needs to turn people's water back on. We can't ignore that there are politically influential entities within Detroit that benefit from the, you know, losses of homes and, yeah. you know, the gentrification of neighborhoods. Mm. People need to call the governor. And they need to vote. We need a robust HUD program in this country. And I can't speak on, you know, what would be better ways of managing all of these kind of crises. But I lived through this as a mom with five kids back in 2009, and we were in danger of losing our home. Hmm. It's tremendously stressful. It's so stressful. I don't think that, you know, people who haven't been through it have any idea. And again, also start turning people's water back on. I mean, we need to be a city of conscience. Yeah, so Heather, please, everyone, call the governor. Heather, I really appreciate the call and the sentiments there. Uh, water shutoffs are another thing that were put on hold, uh, supposedly, during the pandemic. We've heard lots of reports about uh, that not working exactly the way officials planned. But Ted Phillips, re- respond or react to, to what Heather is saying there. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we, we need to extend the moratorium, you know, at least, at least, if for nothing else, to give a chance for the remedy for the uh, the evictions, which is the eviction aversion program, uh, to be able to get up and running and, and work. 
Um, I mean, it just seems incons- totally inconsistent to say from the state level that this is how we're going to deal with the problem on the one hand and on the other in the, in the moratorium before the resolution can even kick in. Now, it probably needs to go much longer than that because this is a huge, huge, huge problem. Uh, and there probably needs to be a lot more money than what's been allocated uh, because landlords are hurting, too. I get that. I get, you know, no one, at least I'm not saying that, you know, all tenants should have free rent for the rest of their lives. Uh, we need to be mindful that that all businesses are taking a hit, and and but but landlords shouldn't have to take a hundred percent hit. So there needs to be a, a combination of those. Mm. Uh, and as to water, I think there's not been I don't think there's been a lot of turnoffs. What we've heard is that a number of land, some landlords have resulted to self-help things like turning off the water and cutting off the utilities as a way to force people out and mm. and trying to deal with those on a one-on-one kind of basis. Uh, again, Heather, really appreciate the call. Let's go to Steve in Detroit. Steve, what's on your mind? Uh, hello? Hi. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. I'm an attorney that does a significant amount of landlord-tenant work in the city of Detroit. As such, I was recently in a bench bar meeting with the 36th District Court for Detroit on the landlord-tenant docket. Uh, there are four judges in Detroit that handle that docket. And this was back in June, and at that point, this uh, program to assist tenants with paying their back rent had not been announced during the wind at all. But the most liberal of the, in the tenant perspective and the most humane judge of those four, to my mind, on the docket, expressed the opinion that the moratorium will not stay the 56-day rule. What that means is all the cases that were pending while when the moratorium went into effect and a writ was active are effectively, those writs can be activated today, the last day of the current moratorium, and anyone who had a writ who's been sitting in their house for the last two months or more can suddenly have a bailiff at their door theoretically tomorrow morning. I just think this adds to the urgency of what Mr. Phillips is indicating about uh, we need this moratorium extended, and hopefully the judges will set hearings, mm-hmm. but they don't have to. Yeah, uh, Steve, I really appreciate your your call and and your perspective there, uh, Ted Phillips. What do you what do you think of what he's saying there? Yeah, he's right. I mean, uh, there's there's a two-prong attack here. First of all, I mean, the governor should extend the moratorium to let her her program, the, the state's program, work. But secondly, the 36th District Court does not have to do this. I mean, I, I know that I understand there's been um, direction from the state saying that, you know, it's, it's sort of the local district's call. And like, like uh, I said earlier, there is a rule that that if the writ is more than 56 days, if the order is more than 56 days old, there is to be a hearing. And there's ample reason to actually have a hearing because there, no one knows what's happened in the last several weeks and months. Uh, there has been direction out of the state for cases that were pending that there be an update of any case that was, was um, filed prior to, I think it's April the 15th or so, April 17th rather, uh, there's a requirement now for the uh, plaintiffs, for the landlord to uh, provide an update to the court before they can move forward 
Well, similarly, there should be a requirement for cases where judgments have already entered and there's a order out for eviction, and there's a court rule directly on point to that. So uh, Steve's right. I understand that, that there was, I was not at that particular meeting with the court, but that, that was said. Um, but again, the, the court's got some culpability here, too. It doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to have mass evictions in the city of Detroit. And so, you know, some of that's on them. We, we blame Lansing a lot, and we should, because there's a lot of things that come out that, that are not good and are very uh, detrimental to Detroit. But sometimes we have the opportunity here in our own community to do the right thing, and the court should. Whether it will or not, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Ted Phillips, Executive Director of United Community Housing Coalition. It is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you for coming by. Thank you again for having me. I really appreciate it, Stephen. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is going to do it for me today. Come by tomorrow for another installment of our WDET Book Club Conversations about Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Tomorrow we are going to be joined by J.M. Holmes, author of How Are You Going to Save Yourself? Plus a conversation with Victoria Burton Harris, who is running to be the next county Wayne County prosecutor. She is challenging County Prosecutor Kim Worthy. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And today, Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.